Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Amen. Thank you. So a couple of nights ago, it was about 1230, and I had laid down to go to sleep and uh, I have a policy. I try not to lay down unless I'm tired and ready to go to sleep. So I usually go to sleep pretty quickly. So as I was closing my eyes for the 10-second countdown to sleep, I heard this. I said, uh-oh. You know why there was an uh-oh? What's the only thing on the planet that makes that sound with that cadence? Dripping water. That's right. So I got up, I threw on some clothes, and I went up into the attic, and I quickly found where the leak was. And it turns out that it had just started. Uh, well, actually, I say that. It had started at some point, and I fixed it, and uh, I got back down, I got into bed, and as I was laying in bed, I was kind of congratulating myself, to be honest with you. I was saying, you stud, you are the boss. I mean, how quickly you fix that leak when an ordinary person, it would have taken a lot longer. And it dawned on me that it wasn't that I was so smart. It was that I knew where the pipes were. And I knew where the pipes were because I put them there. I put them there because I built the place. And so as I'm processing all this, I'm thinking to myself, that must be why God knows how we work best. Because if we really believe that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, if we really believe that we're not an accident, if we really believe that God has intricately placed us together then we must believe that because he made us, he knows where our piping is. He knows how we work. And so continuing in this process of finding your special sauce, it would be good for us to remember that we can't find our special sauce. That is our uniqueness. That is our our place in the kingdom. We can't find that apart from the one who built us. Wouldn't you agree with that? And so God made us, and he made us for a purpose, but what we want to look at today is this. You, as I told you last week, we cannot find our me without the we, because me is within the context of the we, but even though there is a we, there's also a me. It's not an either or, it is a both and. So in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 7. Now, just to, to give you a quick reminder of where we were last week, we said that, that God has built us as the body. And because we're a body, we, we have to function as a body. Could you imagine if the leg said, hey, I don't really want to walk that way. I want to go this way. And this leg said, I want to go that way. Man, you'd have all kinds of dysfunction, right? When you're not on the same team, when you're not acting together, unified, you get chaos and dysfunction. That is exactly what is happening with our country, by the way. That is exactly what is happening with our governments. That's exactly what's happening with most, not most, many families 
that you know and I know that are in, in chaos. It's because everybody wants to do their own thing. No, we have to come together and say, why do we exist? Well, God has told us why we exist. And he's also said that in order for us to fulfill our purpose as a body, we have to have three characteristics or three attitudes or, or three uh, um, heart attitudes that, that will make this happen. It's humility, it's patience, and it is what? What's that third one? Kindness, kindness that's right. So patience or humility, patience, and kindness. Three, these three uh, hard attitudes, they bind us together in unity and in God's perfect love. Now with those hard attitudes, the reason we have those is because that is the only way we can actually function because of our diversity. The reason that we have such issues in our culture is because everybody is about me, me, me. I want it my way. I want my idea. I want my best interest. We're not coming together saying, what's, in the, what's for the good of the country? What is good for our children? We're thinking about what is good for me. And listen, the blame goes on, on all the way around. Both the donkeys and the elephants are both are culpable in this, right? Amen? I mean, it, it, because there, there's not a common thought of what's best for us. And so... What God is saying is, you were called to one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who was over all and through all in all, then verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now that word, but, in verse 7, is a very important word. It's a word that's important because it reminds us that the grace that is given as Christ apportioned is connected to the unification or the unity of us as a body. See, we tend to think in, um, uh, we, we tend to segment or, or segregate or, or compartmentalize things. We tend to think we're a body, I'm one, we're a body. I'm for me. And you can't do that. It's so. We're a body and I am uniquely gifted. That but tells us that. So another word to translate the word but is this. In spite of. So think of it this way. We are of one faith, one Lord, one God, one Father. And in spite of our unity, God has individually apportioned to each one of us certain gifts. And he's given us those certain gifts because he's meant for us to be one. Now, what's missing? Well, let me ask you, let me ask something different first. What is the most important part of your car? The engine? Okay. Anybody else? The brakes? The driver. Okay. What else? Tires. Okay. The payment. No, just kidding. What if I told you that the most important part of your vehicle is the part that's broken? Why? Yeah. Why is the part that's broken the most important part? Because a vehicle without all of the parts working as they should is just a yard ornament. Could you imagine a, 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 an engine that is souped up 
like this, this V8 that's been overboard, and it's got this, this great carburetor on it. Well, not a carburetor. Anyways, it's got all of this stuff going on, and it's just this, this rocket inside of a beautiful chassis. It's got a candy apple red coating and a racing stripe, and it's even got one of those fins on the back to make it aerodynamic, right? A spoiler. But it has no wheels. You know what you would be good for if you had that car? Laughter and noise. That's right. Why? Because no matter how good the engine is, if you don't have wheels that work, you don't really have a useful car. Or could you imagine a car just as I described with phenomenal wheels? I mean, rims that were just, just, just like killing it, right? Spokes, beautiful chrome, super grip on the tires, but no brakes. You'd have a disaster, right? All of these parts, and even if you say just brakes, you've got calipers, you've got pads, you've got hydraulic lines, you've got nuts and bolts and screws and all these things. Everything has to work as they were built in order for you to have a car that's actually able to be used as a car. Paul is saying to the Ephesian church, you are a car. You are together a body. You are a mighty force for the kingdom of God, but you as a as a body have individual parts and every one of them must do their own function for God to use you. Now here's the example I want to use. This morning, worship was a little harder. Why? It wasn't bad, it was just, it was more difficult. Why? We were missing some parts. The whole youth section is gone. And all the adults that work with the youth are gone. And our original drummer is gone. Not that Michael did bad, he did fine, but, but, but there's a difference when you have somebody playing the congas and our bass player was gone, so we didn't have a guitar player. See, when you're missing parts, you can still function. You can still do what you, you, you need to do, but you're just not going to be as vibrant and as alive and as, and as uh, uh, useful, maybe, as the way God built us to be. And so when Paul is speaking to the church here, what he's saying to the church is, each one of us, or to each one of us, a, a grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So you individually have been given grace by Jesus. Every single believer has been given grace. And it's been given to you not because you earned it or deserved it, because that's not what grace is. But it's been given to you as Jesus saw fit. Now I have three dogs. I love my dogs. They are a big black lab named Honey and a medium dog named Brandy. She's the um, uh, uh, beagle. Then I have a little dog named Bailey. So the big dog, the middle dog, and the little dog. Now, that, the, the, the job of feeding the dogs typically belongs to Joshua, but I'll feed them every couple of days or so just to... to because I feel like they need to eat before midnight, you know, when he typically thinks about feeding them. So I'll go out and I'll feed them. And see, we have this system that we developed to feed the dogs because what we were trying to do is feed them all at the same time, and it was chaos. I mean, it was not, they were like jumping on each other and fighting each other and biting each other, and it was just, it was not working. So 
we had to actually separate them and decide to feed them at the same place in the same order and but with different amounts of food and so the process is I'll take brandy and, and, and uh, honey and I'll tell them to sit and they sit on the edge of the porch and I tell them to stay there and then I come over and I get a half a cup of food and I put it in Bailey's bowl and she begins to eat and then I get another full cup of food and I bring it over and I put it in Brandy's bowl and I tell her to wait then I tell her to eat and this, by this time honey's like oh it's almost my turn I mean she's the lab she she's the one that loves everybody all the time always right I get a cup and a half for her and I put it in her bowl and then I let her eat now I didn't give each one of the dogs the same amount why because they're not the same dog. Each dog needs something different. But I could put the same amount in their, in their bowls. And you know what would happen? Some from Bailey would be wasted. She cannot eat all of what I would put in there. Honey, the big black lab, she would eat and be very, very happy. But Brandy would eat hers. And then she would go mooch off of everybody else. And it would cause problems. See, I know these dogs. I don't give them the amount that they need or what they need or how they need it because of what they want. I give it to them because I know what's best for them. That's what God has done. He has apportioned to us grace, to each of you, grace as he knows how you are wired. So some of you have been given much and some of you have been given uh, gifts that are very um, noticeable and they're, 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 they're on stage and they're, they're, they're constantly utilized. But some of you have been given gifts that aren't as, let's say, honorable, but that's really the wrong way to say it because all of them are honorable if they're used when they're needed. Could you imagine being, well, we went to, we went to uh, Rhodesia for Josh's birthday not too long ago, a couple, uh, last week. And Joshua made a statement that just, or actually Sarah was with us. She made this statement that just, I just died laughing because it was so true. The dude with the chicken hearts came out and he's like being rejected by table after table. Chicken hearts, chicken hearts, chicken hearts. And she's like, dad, that's so sad. Could you imagine being the chicken heart guy? <laughs> like nobody likes you. Nobody wants you. I mean, who's going to choose a chicken heart over like this, uh, whatever it's called, right? But the truth is, the chicken heart to those who like chicken hearts, it's filet, right? Could you imagine an airbag in your car going, I'm just an airbag, I'm so lonely. They never get to use me. I just sit in here all by myself waiting for something to happen. No. See, an airbag, I don't, I don't think that you can actually humanize an airbag, actually, but an airbag is there under certain circumstances when you need it, but when you need it, it will save your life. Within the church, God, Christ has apportioned gifts. Every one of us, and some of our gifts are noticeable and, and, and always in the limelight. And some of our gifts are somewhat hidden. But you and I cannot despise the hidden gifts because those are the gifts actually that 
are, are very unique and very needed in certain and specific times. So in the scripture, Paul is trying to make this point. He's saying Christ has appointed it. And this is why it says he's ascended on high and he led the captives in his train and gave, them, and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all of the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he, it was Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Pause. So we have this... Um, this explanation from Paul to the Ephesian church by saying um, it's Jesus who apportioned these gifts. He doled them out. He gave them according to what he knew we needed and what he knew the church body needed. But as he gave them out, you need to understand that he has the right and the authority to give them out. The reason Paul went into this, and it's actually taking off of Psalm 68, He's reminding us that Jesus knows what he's doing. He has the supremacy. He's the all-sufficient Savior. And because he has that supremacy, because he has the ability to know these things, he's given them out, and you and I need to trust him. Now, a couple of things about, about uh, doling these out. Um, he, he gives gifts to individuals within the body, but he also gives gifts to the body as well. It's like this. Remember at Christmas time when you were a kid and you had individual gifts and you also had family gifts? I always hated family gifts. Because it was like, who gets to keep it, right? Like, come on, Dad. Can't you just buy three of the same thing and let us all play with it at the same time? I mean, we had three, three boys. It's like they, one of the family gifts would be yard darts. Whoever came up with the idea of yard darts obviously is not of this culture. You know what a yard dart, do y'all know what a yard dart is? You don't know what a yard dart, the greatest game on the history of the planet. Essentially, this was before we cared about children, basically. (laughs) A yard dart is this. It's this dart about that long. It's got a spike on the end of it about that long. And then it has a plastic and, and a weighted front end. And it has a plastic tube. And then it has fins on the back. And then it, on the back of it, it's a little handle about that big. Here's the idea of yard darts. You have people stand on one side of your yard, and then people stand on the other side of the yard. The people with the darts throw the darts up in the air above the heads of the people on the other side. The people on the other side have to try not to have the dart stick in their head. That's basic. Is that, am I right? This is basically the goal of yard darts. There is, there, well, there's supposed to be a circle, but how many of you ever played with the circle? Come on, it was not. Well, I mean, yard darts was all about dodging the darts. I mean, that would explain a lot. But you never had a, you never got like individual yard dart gifts. It was like you got a family gift and everybody had to share it, right? Then you get other things that are family gifts. Like, anyways, So what God has done is he said, I'm giving everybody an individual gift because I know you, I wired you, I've plumbed you, I I know how you are, but I've also given everybody together some family gifts. And these family gifts 
are for the purpose of helping you discover and use your individual gifts. But check this out. The individual gifts you have are actually gifts that I give you so that you can give them to each other. See how that works? The word grace, I'm backing up just a little bit, but I don't want you to miss this. The grace that has been given as Christ apportioned it, that word grace, it's, it's charis. And then you have other words that come from that word like charisma, charismatic. These are gifts. So grace, the, the understanding of grace within the context of this verse is God has given you undeserved gifts so that those undeserved gifts can be used for the benefit of the whole body. But I've given them to you and I've said to you, use this gift for them. And then collectively, he says, so that you'll understand how to use your individual gifts, I'm going to give you family gifts. And those family gifts are going to be used to bring out the very best of who you were created to be. Now, there are five family gifts. Family gifts is not a biblical term, by the way. It's just, I'm just trying to make it to where we understand it. There are five family gifts that are given to the church. It's apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd or pastor, and teacher. Now, I want to say in the outset that these five gifts, uh, it's not super clear as to how they function and it's not super duper clear as to um, um, the, the nature of them in terms of, uh, of, of, let me just say it this way. There's disagreement on these five gifts. You and I might disagree on this. And that's perfectly okay because this is not a foundational doctrine. It's not a first priority doctrine these are other things to where we go, you know what, I think the Bible says this. Well, I think the Bible says this. We go, well, you know what, that's fine. We have different opinions on it. But it's, we start here on the same place and we end at the same place. Which path we, get, we take doesn't really, truly matter in the long run. So the starting place is this. It is God who gives these five gifts to the church. The ending place is these five gifts are so that the church, the people of God, are equipped to do the work of ministry within the context of their own individual gifts. These five gifts are these. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Some would say, and this is where the divergence is, some would say that these five gifts are actually five gifts that are spread throughout the entire church. And so everybody in this church has at least one of these five gifts. Some people teach that and believe that. I don't think that's the way it is. And I don't think that's the way it is because it doesn't make sense to me that all of us would need one of these gifts. Because there's, there's uh, one body here and we just don't have to have all, it, it, it's like overduplication, I guess you could say. But if you believe that, that's fine. Some would believe that the first two gifts are no longer valid. That apostle and prophet no longer exist. That the only thing we have today as a church is evangelist, pastor, and teacher. I don't think that's right either. The reason I don't think that is right is this. I think that the role of, evangel of apostle and prophet is still necessary and needed now as much as ever before. 
Now, the office has ended. By office, I mean a, a, the, the, the apostles were a certain group of people that had certain criteria. They had to have seen Jesus. They had to have been there present for the resurrection. They had to have been in his presence. They were the founding fathers of the church. So the office of apostle, it's impossible to have new apostles in terms of an office. But the function of an apostle is this. It's the one who takes the gospel to other parts. It's the one who's thinking outside of the walls of the church. It's the one who's thinking kingdom of God in other places. Some might say that the apostle is the missionary. Some might think that it's, say that the apostle is the strategic thinker. However you come to grips with that, just know that the role of the apostle was important to the church. I think it still is important to the church may, as, as much now as ever before because the nature of any group of people is to turn inward and not think about outwards. We need the role of apostle because the apostle is the one that keeps saying, hey, let's not forget about other places. Let's not forget about our commissioning. Let's not forget about where we are not. So that's apostle. Prophet is the same category. The office of prophet is one who speaks, who God speaks through. So they speak for God in such a way that it gives us a revelation of who God is. This was before we had the written word of God. The prophet would reveal to us things about God that we didn't know that we were trying to understand. But there's a reason that the, the books of the Bible were put together in what we call a canon, 66 different books devised of the Old Testament, the New Testament. There is a reason that the early church fathers closed the canon. They said these 66 will be the authoritative books of Scripture for the church from here and forevermore. You say, well, why did they do that? They had to do that. Because they recognized that if they didn't close the canon, they were going to be at risk of having new revelation that was going to be damaging to the church. And they realized also that there were certain criteria with these 66 book, books that made them authoritative in such a way that we could say, just like 1 Timothy says, all scripture is God-breathed, right? For something to be God-breathed, it has to be tested. And the church father said, look, these are the ones that, that pass our test of, of what would be uh, God-inspired, God-breathed uh, revelation of God. So we close the canon, and at that point, we no longer need prophets, because all that we need to know about God, the core basic substance of who He is, is found in the written Word. Now, there was a, a controversy in the third century or so, second, third, fourth century, there was a controversy that caused the early church fathers to say, wait a minute, we need to, we need to figure out how we're going to protect the unity of the church and how we're going to protect the purity of the church. And the way they did that was they came together as church fathers. They had councils. And there's bunch of different councils. If you go into church history, you'll find you have the Council of Nicaea, you have a Diet of Worms. I mean, you have all these different times that the church fathers met, and they made decisions based on 
How do we, how do we um, keep the church whole and unified? One of the ways that they decided they would test what heresy was is they, they said, look, we're going we're gonna to resort to regular fide. Regular fide is a Latin term that means the rule of faith. You say, why in the world are you saying this? I mean, what does this have to do with the price of tea in China? It's extremely important because your faith is only as good as the truth of your faith. How do you determine if somebody preaching on TV is preaching truth or heresy? Because if they preach something that sounds good that isn't true about God and you start believing something that's not true about God, where does that leave you when you get into a bind and you say, but I thought God was this way because that's what I learned. And God says, wait, you didn't learn that from me. You learned that from somebody else who wasn't speaking for me. Does this make sense? So I say all that to say regular fide means rule of faith, which means that they decided what was heresy and what was not by saying, let's go back to our fathers of the faith. Let's go all the way back to the early uh, uh, disciples. Did they believe what we're saying to what we're hearing we should believe now? If there's not a trail back to the first century church of theology, it's probably not good theology. So if something's, if you ever hear somebody say, hey, the Lord showed me something brand new. He's never shown anybody this before. You need to have warning signs. You need to have a giant flashing light that says, run away. This is not from God. God doesn't need to give us anything new about himself because he's already revealed himself through God's word. I'm not saying that we don't have fresh uh, understandings in terms of, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. I'm just saying if there's something that nobody else has ever seen before, you got a problem. Am I making sense here? Why would this be important in the role of prophet? Well, because the office of prophet was needed for God to speak to his people through the prophet. And by the way, their, their litmus test was very strict. You said something that God didn't say and it didn't come to pass, you were to die. That was it. You get one shot. Why? Because if you say, thus saith the Lord, the Lord better thus saith. The office of prophet ended when we had the scripture. Because we didn't need the prophets anymore. We had the written word of God. But the role of the prophet still remains. The role of the prophet is, let me remind you of who God is. Let me remind you of certain aspects and characteristics that we find about him through the word of God. Usually prophets are not very liked because they're always harping on the same thing. You got to pray. 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 You got to be holy. You got to be holy. You got to be holy, right? The, the role of the prophet is to remind us specifically about certain things. Now, just take a moment. Remember, we said there are five different uh, gifts to the church. Can you see how the gift of the apostle and the gift of the prophet would be beneficial to the church? In fact, I would say this. I would say that one of the reasons that churches are so feeble in today's culture is because we have eliminated or we have silenced the apostle, the prophet, and the evangelist. Nobody likes them. 
Why? Because we like the shepherd, pastor, and the teacher. Because it's about me. It makes me feel good. It comforts me. But we need those other roles. It's, they're, they're, they're not opposing, but they're a different kind of tension within the church. So you have the apostle, you have the prophet, then you have the evangelist. The role of the evangelist is to constantly edify the church that there are lost people in need of a savior. It's kind of like the apostle, but it's different. Apostle is much more strategic. Evangelist is much more, there's somebody who's lost and there's somebody who's lost. They see lostness everywhere. And the, apostle, the, the evangelist role is to remind you, don't forget to tell people about Jesus. Don't forget to talk about your faith. Don't for, forget to be the, 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 the living, breathing example of who Jesus is. So you got apostle, prophet, evangelist, and then you have the pastor and the teacher. Remember I said that you start here, you end here, but there are some different paths. Here's another one of those different paths. Some people put pastor and teacher as one. And some people say, no, no, they're distinct gifts. By the way, the word pastor is better translated the word shepherd. What is a shepherd? A shepherd is one who cares for the flock pastoral ministry. It's one who's calling, hey, are you okay? I heard you had surgery. Hey, it doesn't seem like you're, uh, you're, you're feeling good today. Is there anything I can do for you? It's a very, very kind, very loving. It's, it's somebody who feels the pain of another person in, a, in an empathetic kind of a way. I, that's not entirely just that, but it, that's part of it. That's a pastor or, or a shepherd. And then a teacher is one who teaches who God is through his word. All right, so let's pull this all the way back. God has given a gift to you and to you and to you and to you. But for you to understand how to use those gifts and how to know what those gifts are, he's given us as a church family gifts. He's given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And all five of those roles, as they work together, they are building the church up. That's what the next verse says. Some, uh, uh, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, right? So my role is to build you up. One of the things that we saw today is Carson normally is the drummer. Carson is Michael's son. What you may not remember is that Carson was not a very good drummer a handful of years ago. He was clunky. He would speed up and slow down. He was very, very loud because that's what all beginning drummers do. Louder, faster is better. Right? I mean, that just, I mean, everything's in 4-4. But what Michael did with his son was introduce him to it, to drums. And then he began to show him how to play. And then he put him with another drum set next to him, and they played together. The smaller drum set was turned down. The bigger drum set was the one that we heard, and it was shifted. And before long, the student became the master. And so now the student is the one who leads, and the master is the one who sits back and says, well, that's pretty darn good. That is the role of these family gifts to the church. Do you want to know why? On occasion, not on occasion, but, but a handful of times, a good number of times, on Easter morning, 
I wasn't the one preaching. If you've been here long enough, you know that several Easter's, somebody else spoke. Do you want to know why? Because the goal of a church leader is to raise up gifted leaders. Easter is considered the Super Bowl of Sundays. I mean, anybody who knows church world knows that that is, that's like, that's the, that, that's where you get the biggest crowd, all that kind of stuff. But I also knew that it was the biggest opportunity for God's story to be told through some other people in a way that would, would be, that people listening would hear it differently. And believe me when I tell you, nobody who loves to preach wants to give up Easter, but you do it when that's the best thing for the person who's doing it. And when it's the best thing for the church. Would you not agree that our sunrise service was pretty, pretty impactful? Why? Because it was God's giftedness being displayed. And it wasn't just one person on the stage who always gets to do it. I hope the point you're seeing me make is this. That these gifts to the church are necessary for the fulfillment of the purpose of the body as a whole. So, the purpose is that you will be built up, and it's a process. You are prepared for God's service until, verse 13, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, what God is doing is He's doing a marvelous work. He is growing us, teaching us, honing us. Now, how do we become equipped for works of service? It's a process that takes time. Just as I told you about how our drummer became a drummer, it, it, there were some ugly Sundays. And he wouldn't be embarrassed saying that because every musician has to learn, right? There, there were some that we go, oh man, that just didn't work. But that's what you have to go through in order to get something really, really good. You as a person who's part of the body here have to endure the, the, the process of God raising you up to be who he's called you to be and who he's gifted you to be. That means there's going to be tension. That means there's going to be imperfection. But that's okay. Because remember, we're going back to those three hard attitudes. I'm going to be patient. I am going to be humble. And I am going to be oh, kind. No, what was it? Kind. And so those hard attitudes keep my heart in the right place. And those hard attitudes also remind me that you are working. I'm just I'm saying not just me, but any of us. Those who are more mature in the faith, we are being patient with those who are not as mature because we recognize that the work of God is being displayed in them and it takes time. I'm going to talk about that another day. But just for now, understand this, that we have the goal of maturity and of attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there for every wind and teaching by the cunning and craftiness men and deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Somebody please teach Paul about run-on sentences. So here's a question. Do you know your gift? Do you know why you're here? Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, both of those passages tell us, give us an idea of some of the spiritual gifts that God has given. It is not an exhaustive list. There is not a test of, okay, these are the gifts and this is how you know that you have them. The funny thing about spiritual gifts is you have to discover them. You don't just wake up and go, oh, this is my gift, let's do it. You've got to grow in it. You've got to learn. Somebody has to help you so that you can help somebody. I read something today. I thought it was pretty cool. Did you know that cows don't give milk? Did you know that? I didn't know that. Never thought of it before. Cows do not give milk. Think about it. You ever seen a cow come up and say, hey, you want some milk? That was utterly disgusting to watch. Thank you. Thank you. I've never, ever seen, no farmer has ever seen a cow come up and go, hey, you want some milk? Here you go. Cows don't give milk. You have to work to get the milk. It's available, but you've got to do all of the hard work to get it from the cow into your glass or into your cereal. Now, dairy farming is some of the most difficult farming there is because cows have to be milked every day Twice a day at the same time. Every day, twice a day. Rain, sleet, snow, hail, all of the above. Because if you miss a milking, that cow has this internal gene that says, I don't need to make milk anymore. So the milking is what keeps the milk coming. If you miss it, That cow will dry up, and the only way to get that cow to drop again, basically, is for that cow to have a calf, which puts it all back in the same cycle. And dairy farmers get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. They go out. They open the gates, and it's a process unlike anything I had ever seen before. They don't sit on stools and go like this anymore. They don't do that. They have machines and everything. But the point is, to get milk, you got to work for it. To discover your gift and to learn how to use it, you have to work for it. If you think that you're just going to wake up one day, have this supernatural gift and be God's gift to the church, that's not how it happens. 
What happens is you come in, you start listening, and you start putting yourself under the consistent teaching of God's Word, and you let God work inside of you, and you let Him move things away that aren't any good, and you let Him put things in that are good, and He transforms you into a person that resembles the character and the nature of Christ Jesus, and you move from being an infant to an adolescent all the way up to a young adult, and then you become the mature adult who takes somebody else through that same process, and that's the only reason the church is still around 2,000 years later. I have rediscovered church history this week, and it's extremely exciting. The reason? Because I'm at the stage in my ministry where I'm realizing that this is a long-term game. It's not about the quick win. It's about the long game. So guess what? Here's what happens when you get that way. You don't worry so much about the short failures. You don't worry so much about going backwards a little bit. Because you say to yourself, he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. God is at work. And so I know that even though I'm slipping backwards a little bit today, tomorrow there's something new on the horizon for me. And God is in the process. And it's the consistent discipline of following after Jesus that makes you a mature believer. Final thought. All of my life, I have despised exercise. But all of my life, I have tried to exercise. I don't know if you can identify with this, but um, I, I, I took karate classes like once. I saw a karate kid, decided that was for me. I went to one class and that was all I needed. I was like, good, I'm, I'm good. And then I, I thought I was a karate master. Guess what? I wasn't a karate master. I decided I would lift weights and so I, 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 I bought a headband because it was the 80s and that's what you're supposed to do to lift weights. You know, you had your socks with the, the white socks that go up to here with the red stripes, the three red stripes. And I put on my Velcro Walmart or Kmart shoes with the you know, the three thingamajiggies. My dad really helped me to be cool in school. And I went to the gym like twice. I did like th three, uh, three of these. And I'm like, I'm good. Man, I, I feel like I was, looking in the, I was looking in the mirror already. Then I was done with it. You know what I've discovered in my life? Lifting weights once a year isn't going to do anything. But lifting weights Every single week, over time, it's going to make me into a person who, when I look in the mirror, I go, oh, yeah, that looks good. Now, I don't do that, but I'm just saying if I did, I could. Do you get the point? You being a part of this is a process. I'm saying this especially for some of us who are younger. It's so easy to give up, but you've got a whole group of cheerleaders who are saying, don't give up. You don't have us, you have a hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 that they're saying, don't stop, don't give up, keep going. That's what God is doing. So this morning, if you're here and you are frustrated in your faith, I want to encourage you to not give up. 
I will encourage you to open up your eyes to the fact that good things take time. But if you'll be faithful, God will certainly finish what he started. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do so. The Bible says it's by grace that you're saved through faith, not of your works, so that none of us can boast. If you need to know Christ, simply humble yourselves before him and say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know my sin condemns me, but I trust in you for my forgiveness and for redemption. I ask you to save me and I ask you to do in me what we're talking about here today. Plant your gift inside of me and help me to be a person who lives for you. We you close your eyes and bow your head. Father, I do pray that you would just give us a patience. Give us a steadiness. Father, it's easy to be discouraged. But Lord, I, I know that through discouragement, you teach us. Thank you for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Find out more about First Baptist Church Gulf Breeze at fbcgulfbreeze.org.